Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and today's date is, drumroll please, Sunday, the fourth day of December 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, Dan Petrie, former Detroit Tigers star, and Jock Peterson, the center fielder of your Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't know. It could be your Dodgers. I don't know. Hey, it's Sunday, and we're running out of Sundays here for this year. So let's do a good one today. Uh, the Sunday request comes today from actually a friend of Sully Baseball here, uh, Wes Joke who's Wesley Hoffman, wonderful comedian here in the Bay Area, huge Oakland A's fan. In fact, was on the original episode of the first incarnation of the Sully Baseball uh, Daily Podcast. It wasn't a daily podcast when I first, it was weekly. And Wes Hoffman was one of my first ever guests on it. I got to get him back on the show. Guy knows his A's and guy really, really loves to follow not only the A's, but also their minor league uh, teams as well. Great baseball fan. Anyway, uh, Wesley Hoffman writes me. He's at West Joke on Twitter. He said, should Bud Selig make the Hall of Fame? No. So thanks, Wes Hoffman, for writing in. And thanks, everyone else, for listening. This has been great. Uh, go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. On Instagram, my handle is Sully Baseball Podcast. Uh, you can be old school, send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Answering the tough questions here, this has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the fourth day of December 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Okay. I bet you probably wanted a more detailed answer than that. Right, Wes? Okay. I really feel like I answered the question as clearly as I could, but all right, fine. I'll give a more detailed answer than that. Wes is asking me this question because we're having a one of those committees that pops up every so often in the Hall of Fame to see who needs to be in the Hall of Fame based on who didn't make it through the voting process and everything like that. I want to just say one thing right now. I'm going to say something kind of controversial. Unless we find out something, the equivalent of the Dead Sea Scrolls, unless we find there was a whole league that we didn't know with the greatest players who we ever saw play before 1950, unless we find out information we don't currently have, I'm going to say let's have a moratorium on players before 1950 going in the Hall of Fame. Because I think we've I think we've combed them all out. Now, you could probably go through, I mean, a lot of the, the Negro Leaguers who were put in, and I'm sure there's going to be some that were worthy that you know, we may find out more about them. Okay, but if you played in the major leagues, the American League, the National League, the American Association... Before 1950, do you know what? We've reviewed your career. And if you're not in, 
I'm sorry. You're also probably very dead. So let's let's just sort of say, let's sort of cut it off right there. Anyone who played in the major leagues before 1950, if you're not in the Hall of Fame, I'm sorry. That's it. You had decades of people analyzing it. And, and, and you know what? You probably were a wonderful player and just didn't get in. It's okay. It's really okay. Now, afterwards, there's a bunch of players who probably should be in. And there's a bunch of people who are going to analyze, a bunch of executives, a bunch of this, that, and the other thing. Bud Selig's name is coming up. We've had some commissioners in the Hall of Fame. I'm not crazy about that notion, but there it is. And I'm sure there are going to be arguments to have Bud Selig be in the Hall of Fame. Under his watch, baseball revenues went up, which made a lot of people happy. We saw expansion into new territories. We saw the evolution of baseball, both in terms of media, in terms of how it's the playoff format is unfolds, the idea of a wild card system, the idea of interleague play, whether you like some of these things or not. Uh, there, was, there was innovation that happened under Selig. The whole idea of the All-Star game being the thing that determines home field advantage in the World Series, that was dropped in the most recent uh, collective bargaining agreement. But there's something about the spirit of that that I'd like. Say, hey, let's, just, let's try something. Let's see if it worked. Didn't really work. Didn't really make sense. The system they had before that made even less sense, where it was just every other year. Now it's going to be whichever team has the most wins will have home field advantage. There you go. Probably the way it should have been for a long, long time. But there was a sense of Selig trying stuff. And yes, the worst labor issues in the history of the game took place under his watch. But it also, like Nixon going to China ushered in the longest peace we've ever seen in the history of the game since the rise of the Players' Union. i bring another thing up there in a second. Earmark that. So you know, you're, I'm, I'm saying things that could very well be his legacy, could very well be the thing that we remember the most. And you can say that he was someone who learned from his mistakes in terms of the great calamity that was 1994 and 1995, the canceling of the World Series, the debacle of replacement players at spring training, the devastating dip in attendance that took place after the strike. And you could say he put his head in the sand regarding performance-enhancing drugs, something that was an issue well before the strike in 1994. But you could also say that under his watch, the, there's been tougher testing, and now it isn't as much of a farce. You can say all these positive things about Bud Selig. You really can't. And you can begin to formulate an argument to put him in the Hall of Fame. And for that, I am going to take it out at the knees by saying two words, Pete Rose. Now, I'm not going to take it down the road that I'm sure some of you may think I'm going to take it down. 
which is, you know, the Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame because he's the all-time hit leader. He didn't let Pete Rose get in the Hall of Fame under his watch. That's not where I'm taking this. I'm taking this to be consistent with an argument. I have done more podcasts about the Pete Rose situation than I care to admit. And every time Pete Rose comes up, either in my Twitter feed or in terms of the podcast or the blog or whatever, there is always a bit of friction that I get, which is Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame because he did this, that, or the other thing. He was all-time hit leader, MVP, uh, great baseball player, and all this. And there's no argument against that. I'm a big Pete Rose fan. I am. I used to imitate him when I was at bat in Little League. He was one of my favorite players. I met the man. He was a very kind, generous man when I met him. It has nothing personal to do with my thoughts about Pete Rose. The main thing that, in my opinion, keeps Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame is he broke one of the big rules that got him uh, suspended for life And it casts a pall over several seasons, especially 1987. But when he was the manager of the Reds, and we found out he was betting on baseball while being the manager of the Reds, 85, 86, 87, 88, and into 89. And they should have won the division in 87. They had the best team in the National League West in 1987. They were better than the San Francisco Giants that year. The reason why gambling on your team as a manager is bad, even if you're betting on them to win, is because baseball is an everyday sport. You're not betting on your team to win every day, which means the days you have a bet on your team means you don't have them on the other days. Do you hold a pitcher back? Do you not use a certain player because you're trying to rest him for the day you have your money down? You're not managing based upon winning or there's some other element that's gone into it. So, well, I can't use that relief pitcher today because I got to have him rested for Saturday because I got all my money on that. That's why the gambling rules are in baseball. So it doesn't become pro wrestling. And the idea that there were several years where the fate of the National League West and the Cincinnati Reds were in the hands of a manager who may or may not have been managing to win every day is the thing that makes me say, look it, that's something we can't take back. We don't know what would have been the history of the Reds and the history of the National League if Pete didn't do that. And this may be a correlation causation argument, but the next year they won the World Series. So that's why Pete's not there. Now let's bring this to Bud Selig. There is a seedy side to Bud Selig and a side of Bud Selig that was very bad for baseball. 
that is not conspiracy theory, that isn't tinfoil hat territory, that isn't me saying, oh, Sully, geez, how paranoid are you? It is the court of law sees that I'm correct. Bud Selig was the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, the existence of the Milwaukee Brewers at all is somewhat shady. The way that he possibly illegally brought the Seattle Pilots to Milwaukee for the 1970 season is shady at best. But do you know what? I'll leave that aside. I'll put that, I'm, I'm putting it here, I'm putting it right over there. That's not even what I'm going to be talking about. When free agency hit baseball, and I've talked about this many times on the podcast, that life and the universe is a series of connections and reactions. Things don't happen in a vacuum. Free agency comes about after the 1976 season. And from the beginning, the owners did everything they could to strip it down and shut it down. The free agent compensation led to the 81 strike. More strife led to the 85 strike, which was one day. And that led to, well, we can't, we have to live with free agency. We're not going to get the free agent compensation we thought we were going to get. So what happened after that? It happened under Commissioner Uberoff, but it happened. And the owners colluded. The owners got together and said, we are not going to sign free agents. We are going to drive the prices down. Players went into free agency. Some of them superstars in their prime and could not get people to sign them. The teams folded their arms. Everyone saw what was happening. It was, it was as subtle as a pig landing on a wedding cake. And one of the owners and one of the hardliners was Alan H. Bud Selig. Now stop and think about what that really means. If you're out there and you're a team that was on the cusp of winning, like Pete Rose's Reds, but think about uh, teams in the mid-80s that were just about there. The Blue Jays, the A's, the, what are some of the other teams that were in real contention in the mid to late 80s and probably could have used an extra player here, an extra player there? San Francisco Giants, certainly. Montreal Expos, certainly. Philadelphia Phillies were contending for a while. The Cardinals were always in big-time contention. Think about some of the teams that if you had a player here or a player there, think about some of those tight pennant races that happened. What if someone could plop in Tim Raines in his prime, Jack Morris in his prime, Carlton Fisk when he was still an all-star slugger? Andre Dawson wound up signing with the Cubs because he just showed up to spring training, gave him a contract, said, fill in whatever numbers you want, I want to play. And the Cubs reluctant to say, all right, fine. They gave him a super low ball offer. They said, all right, fine. We got him for, you know, a huge pay cut. And he went out and, and had an MVP season and probably solidified his Hall of Fame candidacy. Tim Raines. 
Tim effing Reigns, who will probably go to the Hall of Fame this year. He should. One of the great leadoff men in the history of baseball. At his peak, his batting champion, stolen base champion peak, where he was a force of nature, was a free agent. Any team could have signed his ass in his prime. Picture a team that could have used a spark at the top of the order, could have used an offensive power, you know, someone with power, speed, average, everything in that lineup. You could have put in Tim Raines and all, was it at the time it was what, 26 teams folded their arms and said no. And then it was found that they colluded. Judge ruled that they colluded. And with that, they had to start paying penalties. And they had to start signing free agents at a huge clip to show that they weren't colluding. And with that, the salary skyrocketed. And with that, the players dug in their heels because they didn't believe a word the owner said. And I never did either. The minute they were found guilty of collusion, I just said, I think these owners are scumbags. You may find the players to be greedy. And it was always easier to say, wow, they're going on strike because they want more money. They're so greedy. I looked at the owners and said, they're a bunch of scumbags. And the grand poobah scumbag was Bud Selig, who helped push out Faye Vincent, put himself in as the commissioner. And with that was like an act of war. The minute that happened, a huge strike was inevitable because the commissioner, who was supposed to be like the, the person in the middle of things, became one of the foxes in the hen house. Why would the players trust him? He was one of the ones who colluded with Milwaukee. And that led directly to the player strike, which led directly to the steroid era. And the fact of the matter is, you can look at the mid-80s, 85 to about 88, 89. Around the same time Pete Rose was betting on baseball, you had teams that made the decision to not improve themselves. Put a handshake agreement to drive down the prices of players who had fought for the right that you and I take for granted of being able to find employment where they want. Drove that down illegally. And along the way, a team here or a team there could have improved themselves. Look, at whether or not you think Jack Morris is a Hall of Famer or not, and people made very passionate arguments on both sides of the aisle on that issue. No one could deny that plugging him into your rotation would have been, I don't know, kind of a smart move around 1987. Nobody wanted him. Nobody signed him. And with that... You know, I think of someone like Al Oliver. Al Oliver had a wonderful career. 
and he was still a viable player in 1985. He was still a good, solid major league player. Probably was, was no longer the superstar that he was at one point, but was certainly a good player and should have had a, you know, should have had a contract. And Al Oliver was a free agent after 1985. Al Oliver, let's go, let's go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. He was still a capable hitter, you know, part-time player and everything like that with the Toronto Blue Jays and hit very well in that year's postseason. He could have found work as a left-handed DH, first baseman, whatever. He had 2,743 hits. Now, would he have gotten to 3,000? I don't know, but he would have gotten to 2,800 easily the next year. And when you get to 2,800 and you're sniffing, you're like, you know what, I'm a, if I hang on for a couple of seasons, I could push 3,000. That possibility was there. Al Oliver, would, would he have made it? I don't know. But he became a free agent. Nobody signed him because they were colluding. And his career ended. Rod Carew's career ended because he became a free agent and nobody would sign him. Rich Gedman's career was derailed because he was a free agent. Nobody would sign him. Came back to the Red Sox after the, the free agency rule said you can return to your former team. And he was never the same player. Same thing with Lance Parrish. Careers were derailed through collusion. Teams were made worse because of collusion. A three or four year window, we look at going like, man, I wonder what would have happened if this, that, or the other thing had taken place. And one of the people participating in it is Bud Selig. So, sorry, Bud. You don't get to collude. You don't get to be someone who was found guilty of ruining the sport for a period of time and then be asked to enter the Hall of Fame. To have Bud Selig in there and not Marvin Miller would be a disgrace. To have Bud Selig in there and not Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens would be a farce. You can say he learned from his mistakes. You can say he improved himself. Then fine, Father Flanagan. Good for you. Pat you on the top of your head. But being entered in the Baseball Hall of Fame is supposedly the biggest honor you could possibly have in baseball. So because you have rehabilitated yourself and learned from your mistakes, that's nice. That's cute. Lottie freaking da. But that doesn't mean you get to be rewarded. That doesn't mean you get to be coronated. That doesn't mean you get to be put on Mount Olympus. Do you know what that means? That means we get to look at you and like, all right, well, at least you learned your lesson. As long as Pete Rose is out, Bud Selig has got to be out. It's that simple. Because at the same time, they both made decisions that hurt the game that made the game worse. So, Wes Hoffman, I go back to my original answer to your question, should Bud Selig be in the Hall of Fame? The answer, no.
So now, can I sign off? Hey, if you have something you want me to talk about, go to Sully Baseball on Twitter and write something for the Sunday request. Hey, let's roll the credits again. Go to SullyBaseball.com. Patrick Kaliski and Ted Becker. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for what the hell day is it again? It's Sunday, the 4th of December, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. I really, really hope you realize I'm not colluding with anything. You can call me Sully.